Welcome to the Abstract Veterans Podcast. Today, Char Gatlin and Kevin Sickinger speak with Alex Pay. For more information, please visit limbic-cenc.org. Visit the Abstract Athlete for more information and news. The Abstract Veterans Podcast with Char Gatlin and Kevin Sickinger. Ladies and gentlemen, good morning, and welcome to yet another episode of the Abstract Veteran Series. I am your host and co-host, Char Gatlin, along with uh, Kevin Sickinger. Thank you for joining us again today. Sorry, a little slow this morning, just a bit under the weather. Just came back from a conference in Rapid City, South Dakota, where I decided to drive three or four days over and fish and drive three or four days back and fish. It was a lot of fun fishing the uh, First Nations and coming back through Northwestern Wyoming and hit some brown trouts, but unfortunately I picked up a very bad cold on the way back and uh, you know, hey, it is what it is. When it rains, it pours, but you gotta have some fun in the rain. So uh, with us today, we have a very special guest, <clears throat> Dr. Alex Pace, um, who has decided to join us. And as you know, we do things a little bit different here on our podcast. We have some fun and we also make science simple. So with that, I'd like to introduce uh, Dr. Alex Pace, so, doctor, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, your background, and um, we'll go from there. Sure. So, uh, as you said, my name is Alex. I am currently a second-year resident in neurosurgery at the Mayo Clinic. Uh, so, I graduated from Virginia Commonwealth University. And I'll say my, my path to medicine was circuit, circuitous at best. You know, I, I joined the, the Marine Corps right out of high school. Uh, my, dad, my dad was a Marine. so. I'd say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But, uh, you know, I, I, from 2005 to 2009, spent my time as an infantry Marine. And then I decided to get out and go to school, but I had absolutely no idea at that point in time what I wanted to do. And I, th I think like many of us that, that leave the military, you're always looking for what's next or something to fill the void because it's such an intense experience of meaning. Uh, brotherhood, sisterhood, what have you, but uh, looking for what's next. And I think I went through many different iterations on my way to, to choosing medicine, but it's more of an evolution than a eureka moment. So I, I think around my junior year, I was studying just political science and my, my mother got extremely ill. And uh, I, you know, I was thinking about law school, I was thinking about going back to the military, it was just so many different ideas in my head, but she started to get sick and I kind of went with her to the appointments to be supportive. And I really, the idea kind of came like, well, maybe I can do something in medicine. Cause you can see kind of, it, the meaning that people carry with them in the hospital. And it, it was kind of a crazy idea at the time because I was never the sharpest in the sciences or, you know, anything like that. So I, I started to, to look around, follow a few doctors around, but I, I'll say it wasn't until I, I, I shadowed and, and went to the operating room with a surgeon that I kind of had the, aha, this is, this is exactly what I wanted to do. So I ended up finishing all the way through undergrad, graduated political science, and then went back to do some some sciences in a post-baccalaureate program and then started my journey through med school. So it's kind of a, a really long way to get to where I am, but I'd say it's well worth it the whole time. Um, well, obviously one of the questions we're gonna ask will be how much longer do you have and, and what do you plan on doing when you're, when you're done being a professional student for this amount of time? But uh, before we get there, let's go back to the past. Um, uh, what, 
made you join the Marines other than the fact that your dad was a Marine? And while you were in the Marines, was it anything healthcare related that you saw treatment of your fellow Marines that could have sparked any interest as well? Yeah. So why, why the Marines? You know, I, I had toyed around with the idea of maybe joining the Navy as a corpsman at the time. Then I thought, you know, my dad's a Marine. I got to be a Marine too. So it was never, it was never suggested by him or anything like that. But I mean, just being surrounded by the Marine Corps your whole life, it was kind of a natural default choice to go to the Marine Corps. And I'm, I'm glad I did. I it was a foundational experience to my life, but as far as, you know, seeing healthcare things while I was in the Marine Corps, I was pretty limited, you know, to those things and maybe some first aid training. And I, I did have some friends, you know, they, they, they did get hurt and then are hurt when they got out. But I, you know, it was always, you, you want to take care of your, your junior Marines, but you know, I, I had very limited exposure to any kind of healthcare things while I was actually in the Marine Corps. So, but you know, the more, the more I go through medicine into neurosurgery and then, you know, this physician dealing with TBI, the more it just kind of fits with my background where it's kind of the, the scourge of the last war. But I'll say that the times that I was in 2005 to 2009 was kind of the early iterations of recognizing these things to where, I mean, we were there, euphemisms like you get your bell rung or you kind of shake it off was kind of the the du jour, but now we recognize there's actually long-term effects of these injuries. Yeah, that's kind of what I was going to ask you. So during your deployments, I mean, was there a, a certain frequency of that type of injury or, you know, how was it treated by command uh, or leadership, so to speak? And, and just if you could touch a little bit on that. Sure. So, I mean, the people that were hurt and needed to leave, they certainly got the help they needed, but we, we were pretty fortunate with where we were at, at the time to where, you know, we, we did most of our stuff, foot mounted patrols, and there were a few IEDs here and there, but we were mostly able to find them before they went off. So I, I can't say that I personally experienced or many around me on those deployments had just repetitive concussive injuries, but I can compare that to where right after I got out and, you know, all my friends went over to Afghanistan in 2009 and I, it was almost daily for them. So several of them that I know from that deployment, they're, they're still dealing with those effects now. I spent times uh, on my career with light infantry. So I, I empathize with your, with your, your, your infantry background. What's the old saying, uh, strong back, weak mind, right? But in the end, we kind of show them it's reversed in a, in a lot of ways. Um, I also empathize with the political science component. I wound up with a master's degree in it. I don't know if I'm ever going to use it or not. I'm, I'm burdened with a lot of useless information. When people ask me, I tell them, and they always seem to think I'm taking a side. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm just telling you how the, how the process works. But uh, I, once again, I use the term empathize, you know, getting your bell rung and, and seeing guys drop beside you. And a lot of times TBI is a secondary injury behind a more primary life-threatening injury. And if you've been there, seen it firsthand, then you, you know what I'm talking about. But I'd like to ask you about school for a minute, kind of shift gears. What was it like, you know, coming out of your background, you know, where you're in contact off and on and so forth, and you've been around that environment, and then switching back over into, shall we say, an academic or, or undergrad or academic, you know, university environment. It's part one, and then part two, you know, the integration with with um, you know non-veteran students and then veteran students like yourself. Explain that a little to us, or kind of elaborate on. Yeah, I mean you. It's such a such an intense experience while you're in and you think it'll never end and then that date hits and you leave and for the first week or so you feel like you're on leave it's it's all going to go back and you're still carrying yourself like that 
but then school starts and I, I to be honest it's pretty isolating at first where you, you go back to campus it's just you you know you're not going to see your friends like you did every day and then you go there and it's just a completely different world where everyone's on their own program and then there's you trying to figure out you know what you're going to do and where you're going to go and it's those little little signs people that are in the community whether it's you recognize a backpack or a patch or something like that and you just kind of hey i know what that is and you kind of strike up the conversation and then from there you know you essentially somebody you've never met before becomes you felt you feel like you've known them for 20 years you kind of enjoy that um and then just going through school i i can say you know going from the marine corps infantry to school and i you know part of part of my reason for joining the marine corps right away and not going to college is i wasn't the most dedicated student even if you give a half-ass effort you know to school as you did to, to be in a marine you're a pretty good student and you realize you know this isn't so bad this isn't bad at all i have to do is sit inside with a, with a cup of coffee and just kind of do the work so i that's where that's why i realized you know school isn't so bad and then for some reason i stayed in school for forever so no, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned that I, you know, once again, I use the term empathize because I, you, 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 <laughs> you know, what I used to tell students, you know, sometimes when they, and you never can judge someone until you walk a mile in their shoes. Very true. But, you know, sometimes they would, they would complain about things <laughs> like, you know, I know a thousand people that would trade places with you right now, you know, to be here. And it's interesting that you hit upon the discipline to it. You know, I wasn't the, um, well, we all squandered opportunities. I'll put it that way. And for me, the U S army, fixed a lot of that and actually paid for for my education but one of the things that I saw and it's a two-way street when I when I came out was yes you find those those veterans and you you have a few conversations and they become your your buddies that you've known for 20 years but I also learned a lot from the students you know because I was in a box for a long time and only one way of thinking I mean I learned what was hilt what was not how to place the, the stickers on your water bottle in the correct way so you're cool. So people will come up and talk to you. And I know this sounds crazy, but learning a lot from the younger generation who's never had the experience. And they would ask me a lot of questions. And, you know, I was a little bit older, obviously, as a non-traditional non going before or doing service time before. But I, I tried to figure out a way to learn, you know, from, from them to be able to fit in. And it's still an ongoing process. I don't think I've mastered it yet. But I, I found sometimes that an open mind, you know, and keeping that sort of two-way two -way street to it, you know, can lead to, to good pathways and good outcomes, not only, you know, physically, what have you not, but, but emotionally and mentally, because when you come in and you're, and you're isolated a lot of times, you know, you still got the same problem, but shall we say, less time to solve it. So just a, kind of an interesting observation on that. I can add one thing to that. It's kind sure. of... My, my journey, you know, through med school to, to surgery itself in, in med school, there's a very early distinction to whether you want to do medicine or surgery. And then almost immediately, I kind of recognize I fit into one group that, that you know, kind of call them the doers that want to go do things. They, those are the surgeons, but rotating through med school with the students, there's always a euphemism, you know, you're, you're in the clinic or you're in the hospital doing something. And you, so someone gets correct and they say such and such yelled at me. You could say with our experience, like I, you, you were not yelled at. <laughs> you, were, you were gently corrected. That wasn't a yelling. But the second thing is uh, finding my way to neurosurgery is neurosurgeons or surgeons generally kind of have a, a reputation. They were going through all the rotations and people were like, oh, the hours are terrible. The days are long and the people are so intense. And I was kind of like, I, I mean, I, 
I just kind of recognized the people and the place and the structure and the way the way it was. And it, I didn't find it intimidating, I think, because it's kind of it matches very closely to the background we all share. Discipline and attention to detail, you know, go you know, fit into a lot of different a lot of different paradigms for sure. You're on mute, Kim. I had a great comment, and of course it was on mute. So it was a great segue on, we spent considerable time talking about how the three of us view going back to school as veterans and how we view others. Be interested to know how your peers and how your professors have viewed you knowing your life experience. You know, I think, like our generation, I know we we have differences and things, but I would say the generation we're in are exceptionally well cared for compared to people that came before, like the Vietnam War or anything. So I think the only thing that the military has done for me afterwards ever is, is has opened doors and then has given me a reputation that kind of precedes myself even before people know me. So I, I could say I've never been looked down on or definitely not discriminated against. It's always been kind of a force multiplier to anything that I could do where it I put on my resume that I was a Marine for this time, honorably discharged, you know, sergeant in the Marine Corps. And that all, all it's ever done is, is, you know, be an absolute asset to everything I try to do. That's awesome. You know, the, the military, it, it's interesting. It's, I think the conversation shifted. We were talking about for the, 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 the pure undergraduate or, or graduate level academic world shifting over to, to medicine, which in my mind, and I'm not necessarily qualified in medicine, actually I'm not qualified, it's kind of two entirely sort of different things where one, you're, you're different, two, they use you as an asset because of the attention to detail, because of the, you know, the teamwork, the camaraderie, you know, leave no one behind, you know, how do we, you know, sometimes it's not about crossing the finish line first, sometimes it's about making sure your entire team crosses the finish line. And that's, you know, definitely appreciated. And the fact that I would say that the military drives probably most of the medicine, you know, a good or, or large majority of it, you know, you know, in this country. So along your path, you know, tell us a little bit why are you where you are now and kind of kind of how you I mean, you, you've elaborated a little bit on it, but, you know, how you got there and, uh, and kind of what you're doing. now. Sure. So I, I graduated from Virginia Commonwealth University the School of Medicine in May 2021. And there's a whole process where doctors apply to residency and you apply across the country, you know, and it's, it's a random match process. You interview everywhere you rank who you interviewed and they rank you. And then wherever, wherever you match and that algorithm matches you is where you're going to end up training in whatever specialty you've chosen. So I, I was fortunate to, to match at the, the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota to train in neurosurgery. So that's where I've been since then. So I finished my, my intern year, um, where, where you spend a lot of time around the hospital with, with many different specialties, but always always kind of adjacent to the neurosciences. So I, I finished that and now I'm a, a second year resident uh, in neurosurgery. So I'm much more getting acclimated to, to being a neurosurgeon in the OR every day. And then I, I just finished you know, at the tail end of a, a month long rotation in the, the neuro ICU. So, it's the kind of split residency between your junior and your senior years, where it's the first four years or your junior years. And it's, you know, learning the ropes, learning how to operate a fire hose every single day. And you try to drink from it to where you kind of transition to being a senior resident where you're going to oversee everything, make some of the decisions start to act like 
you know, what you're going to do as a neurosurgeon when you're on your own. And then after seven years, you graduate, you can keep, you can stay in school and do a fellowship more in like a more niche subspecialty training, or you can go out and hang your hat and start practicing as a neurosurgeon. Another form of leadership and shoot, move, communicate. Seems how those things never seem to change. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's you, lots of decisions with limited information and just kind of an evolving Every day, every day, you never know what you're going to get into or what's going to come in the door, but you, you and the team figure it out. So. so you're in year two of seven is what you're saying? That's right. So I mean, it's kind of a long, you, you can see the finish line almost. Uh, what, what at this point in, on the spectrum, what do you think your uh, desires are going to be at that seven year point? You said you could multiple options. It's tough. So, I mean, neurosurgery is such a subspecialized field, but what's great about it is it actually, it's really broad to where everything's kind of divided to where in neurosurgery, you have trauma, you have vascular, you have functional, you have you know, the spine. It, so it's, it's for, for being so subspecialized, it touches on almost every system you can imagine. So you really kind of choose which one you like best and you kind of go from there. So I, I, I think I like critical care. So I, I like the trauma, I like the ICU. Uh, and I, to, to date, I, I don't think I've seen anything that I hated. So I, whether, whether I'll end up doing you know, spine surgery or, or cerebrovascular. So something in the critical cares and then something adjacent to that. So I, I kind of, you know, in keeping with what we do here, I, you know, I, I, it just, it fits with my background and like an intrinsic interest to think about you know, TBI and a brain injury. Uh, that comes with in that in that bucket is also spinal cord and spine injuries too well so a little bit on the easier question spectrum charge from montana i've spent four years in north dakota um what was that first winter like in rochester minnesota i, I was told it was mild but it was terrible <laughs> <laughs> so i, I it, it, it's dark when i when i go in and i would trudge the snow and then it's dark when i come back and most of the time it was snowing so, but the thing is, when when everyone around the country is interviewing at different places, especially up north, like in the Mayo Clinic, and you know everyone's asking, "How's the weather? How's the weather?" And all, all the all the faculty will tell you, you know, it's going to be 68 degrees under fluorescent lights where you're going to be most of the time in the OR. So don't worry about it. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. The you know, just as an observation from the outside, I think a lot of people coming in maybe to your background would pursue sort of a, an easier path after the fact, but you're throwing yourself right back in there. I mean, with the words trauma, you know, being on top of it, you know, call all the time. I mean, how do you, do you have any, any free time and what, and what do you do with it? We're doing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I truly am the kind of person to where the more I have to do, the more productive I am. And if there's nothing going on, then I do nothing. So I, I just, always interested in you know doing something and i don't know i don't know for some reason the chaos kind of just draws me in to where you you go there it, it's chaos and then at the end of the day you're like man that was that was wild but it was really gratifying so i try and you know, found my found my way here i'm i'm grateful for what i do but it definitely it definitely takes most of your time i'll say training training and residency is it's changed dramatically than, than it used to be even 10, 15 years ago to where 
training like a residency can be so long that they had to make a rule where you can't work more than 88 hours a week because people would routinely break that and then it would a lot of the people we're training with like uh, my my former chairman at vcu uh dr vladka he would say when he was training they changed the thing to where instead of taking call every single day they would take call every other day and on your on the day after call you get a part of the day off to get some rest and he said his chairman at the time would say the problem with with q2 call or taking call every other day is you miss half the cases so surgery is truly one of those things where you have to be there to do it and you have to be in the hospital and one day you're going to be doing it on your own so seven years feels like a long time but you know while, while you're there and you're practicing with other people and they're helping guide you you just want to see every single thing under the sun before you have to make those decisions on your own and it's interesting kind of a, a segue this is more sort of an observation than a, than a question you know living out here in montana in a rural environment with a you know very large underserved you know and vulnerable population and i use population you know s populations you know something with it with a specialty such as yours like neurosurgery not too many you know where i could probably go to you know the district of columbia or the greater dc area which i usually call virginia maryland and dc i could probably throw a baseball and hit hit 10 or 15, you know, or golf ball, you know, once it ricocheted. And to your comment about, you know, exceeding, you know, the, the, the spectrum, you know, of patients, you know, just something to not, not think about. I'm not trying to, trying to get into your career path, but a lot of times, you know, these rural populations, you know, are different and eye-opener. Um, as an example, a while back, I sat on a, on a board out here and we had to go up to the Blackfoot Reservation uh, for Indian Health Services was up there. And that that's a very different medical entity on, on its own. I mean, you got federal out here, you have state, you have quasi such and such. And there was a hospitalist that was there. And uh, I want to say he was a tribal member. But he had gone on to school and had come back and was cutting, not cutting his teeth, but doing his time there. You know, and I had a conversation with him about that. And he came back, you know, to, to give back to the community. But I don't know, you know, I didn't think, at least from our conversation, he was going to stay in the long term. And, you know, it, it is what it is. But but it's interesting to see, you know, the reflection that you had, you know, a lot of folks sometimes overlook, you know, some of these vulnerable populations. And, and for example, out here, I mean, Montana is the fourth largest state in the nation. I think we're right over a million people. And we have, you know, serious issues with, with TBI, not only the prevalence and the incidence, as do a lot of, of rural communities, you know, but it's nice to see, you know, young, young men and women stepping up to the plate like this and, and going the extra mile to, you know, to assist these populations in order to, to not mostly say spread the wealth, but spread the care, hands, hands down. So. Yeah, I, I'll say that the populations are definitely, you know, there's a stark difference between like rural others and especially veterans to where, you know, out here every now and then, you know, you could say that people present late in whatever process they have going on because they, they ride it out until they no longer can and then they come see us. So there's, you know, some of the, the Midwestern salt of the earth farmers and also like at the VA to where they come in and they say, you know, I, I'm a little bit uncomfortable and I'm in a little bit of pain and you get the scan and you're just absolutely blown away how this person's been functioning all that time. Yeah, that, there's an inherent toughness to that. Not that that's a good thing, but it just, it happens that way sometimes for sure. Speaking of going back, are there any, any thoughts at all on possibly either uh, military medicine or VA medicine or, you know, it's always hard to get away from, from the brotherhood. So I was wondering if it's any thoughts on. Yeah, you look at look at jobs in the future. I think my my ideal job would be, there's some places in Virginia Commonwealth, one of those to where there's a handful of six or seven in the country to where there's the academic medical center 
like VCU. I think there's one in Denver, I think MUSC in South Carolina to where the, the academic medical center and the VA are almost one of the same to where the faculty share joint appointments at both. And I think that's something that, that's, that's kind of one of the places I'd be looking to go with whatever I do is to where you hold a dual appointment where you split your time at the VA then you also have access to all the resources at a, a large academic medical center. So I think a place like that's where I'll be looking to go. Well, fortunately, you know, numerous people in that, uh, that arena there at VCU. So, so I, I kept my brother there so he could hold my, my faculty. <laughs> well, I think that, uh, Kind of brings us to the end of our time. At least we're pretty close to it. It's an interesting point, you know, to the combined combined arms. Well, I'm stuck in it too. The sort of combined arms interdisciplinary approach, you know, for doing, you know, like you say, a large academic medical center to the VA and bringing all the resources together to target, you know, that that one population, you know, where where patient care is first and foremost. And unfortunately, that you know that reality doesn't necessarily exist sometimes in in the larger picture. But it's good to see good to see people that are doing it. So as I said, I think we're we're about there. Kevin, do you have any more any more comments for our our guests today? I uh, just want to, I mean, like you mentioned, this is one of your days, one of a few days off. So we greatly appreciate you taking you know some time to spend with us this morning. Uh, it, you're on an endeavor that I'd never could even imagine uh, me trying to do, uh, and that's uh, you know, I have spent a lot of time with doctors over the last seven years. And I'm, so I, I might think that I could have made it, but I, I barely passed uh, science for non-science majors and undergrads. So uh, I greatly appreciate what uh, what you guys are able to learn and, and turn that into. So also greatly appreciate your service, uh, both from your dad, you and your brother. Uh, it is uh, something that not a lot of us do uh, and, and greatly appreciate that. Yeah, that's why I uh, I did the humanities and social sciences. My one one never quite equal two, so I could just argue my way my way out of it. I figured that be that would be the easiest way to do it. Well, folks, that sort of brings us to the end of the the podcast. Thank you for tuning in. And uh, you know, when you they put it to you this way, from infantry marine to an MD in neurosurgery at the Mayo Clinic, folks, you can do what you want to. The sky's the limit. Just get out there and try. And if you can't, you know, volunteer, go to school, but stay positive and productive in the community and, uh, you know, help help others around you folks, because that's what it's about in the end. So once again, thank you for tuning in to our third episode this year of the Abstract Veteran Series. We'll be around next month for our next podcast that we've yet to identify a guest. We have a few, but as I said, we always try to have fun and my best to my co-host, Kevin. Ron in the box up top and the team that remains unseen. Thank you for making this happen and we'll see you next, uh, next month. Until then, take care. Thank you to Alex Pay for joining Char Gatlin and Kevin Sickinger today on the Abstract Veterans Podcast. For more information, please visit limbic-cenc.org. The Abstract Veterans is produced by The Abstract Athlete. For more information, please visit theabstractathlete.com. And as always, follow us on all of our social media platforms under The Abstract Veterans, The Abstract Doctors, and The Abstract Athlete. See you soon with our next episode.